I'm Holly Tucker, and welcome to my podcast, Conversations of Inspiration. Founder of Not on the High Street and Holly & Co., I'm the UK ambassador of creative small businesses. I believe that having a business doing what you love is the key to a happy, fulfilled life, and my dream is to help everyone start theirs. I'm here to offer advice, inspiration, wisdom and encouragement. And in my view, the greatest way to do this is by sharing stories. So I've reached out to all my favourite small businesses, acclaimed entrepreneurs and those who just simply inspire me and ask them to share theirs. With thanks to our sponsor NatWest, who have helped bring this free podcast to life. Here are my conversations of inspiration. Bow your head and let your eyelids close on down. This week, I'm speaking to the utterly inspiring Julie Dean, founder and CEO of the Cambridge Satchel Company. One of Britain's most admired entrepreneurs, Julie founded her company making quality leather satchels with just one goal, to send her children to a better school. Her satchels became an overnight success when they were spotted on the front rows of New York Fashion Week and on the arms of countless celebrities. Her bags reached cult status and within the next few years, the company was worth upwards of £50 million. Julie was awarded an OBE, became the star of Google's Moonshot campaign and most importantly, she realised her dream of sending both her children to that good school. I travelled to Cambridge to have tea with Julie, where we talked about the roller coaster ride and what it takes to build such an iconic brand. Julie, I can't tell you what a pleasure it is to meet a complete idol of mine. And you're a hero to, I know, many other women and actually many other mothers. When I told people I was coming to meet you, honestly, people just gasped. And that is the effect that you have had. And I'm sure that you've been told, you'll be called many things, wonderful things, I'm saying. But the queen of British kitchen table business startups, because building a business from a kitchen table. Um, I empathise with that journey. But actually, you are someone who has gone above and beyond. I just wanted to start because I'm going to ask you about the story. But as I was reading more and more about you, I wanted to touch on your relationship with your mother. Because you cite her as what makes your brand unique. Is she really your secret weapon? I think she's the country's secret weapon. <laughs> My mother, if things get really tough, we'll have to call her in. <laughs> she's, she is absolutely amazing. And I think she's, she's the reason I don't really worry about getting older because my mum is still probably the most fun person to spend time with. And she's so glamorous and so well turned out but really mischievous um and and just the person that is is so totally on the side of her daughter and her grandchildren you know and and she she would never ever think that we would do anything that we didn't have a very good reason for doing you know and she backs us to the hilt and she's she's phenomenal she's got the best taste but she's not stuffy. I heard um, that you said, well, the thing is, you have got to get someone who will work really hard, 
put up with your slightly easily irritated temperament and not expect to be paid it narrows until you're left with just your mother yeah that's exactly right I just (laughs) fantastic (laughs) and so I really relate to this because um when we started not on the high street Sophie and I our family were the crew that would come on board who weren't demanding much uh not even a penny and as we started the business um you realize that having um specifically my sister started with me she was employee number three and 15 years now we've been working together and there's nothing quite like is there this telepathy this loyalty the cutting to the chase this this um it's almost like I would say a secret weapon Um, and I think that we could have grown faster if my mother hadn't you know made me an only child Right. If I'd had siblings, I could have drafted in. We could have really run. So the growth of the company is her fault, possibly. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I I would. You brought on your mother. You brought on this love, this 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 building a family. Ultimately, through your employees. Can you just tell me, I mean, it's one of my favourite stories, but I'd love to hear it firsthand because I'm sitting opposite you. The Cambridge Satchel Company. How did it all come about? I think that. It is just one of those things that uh, I I would start off by saying I I don't need to be a founder CEO entrepreneur person. That's not. I mean, I there are things in my life that I do need, but but on the work side, that isn't really what what does it. And so it needed to be. There was a, a real reason to it. it. I could never have done this if it was to have a big house or a, a, a flash car or, or something like that. It was just too hard. I just wouldn't have done it. But getting my children into a fantastic school, a school where they would thrive and feel safe and happy and really look forward to going every day, you know, that, that was absolutely the driving force. I had been fortunate enough that I had been a stay-at-home mum, you know, and so I'd been at home for eight years. And, and it's not actually a boring time at all. It's really, really nice. Because if you're someone who's busy, you will be busy whatever you do. So, you know, it's... Um, I like to think I was a gift to the parish council in helping them move forward with their organisation. They they might not have seen it that way. Um, <laughs> a gift to the chair of governors. I became chair of governors at the local school. You know, brought in some insights. <laughs> and uh, and so, gift. if you're a busy, another gift. Uh, and and if you're a, a busy person, you just love doing stuff. You know, and so. Uh, the signs were there that I should have had something else when the children were past that stage of being like four and needing things all the time. They'd come home with with some kind of project and I, I would just think, oh, this is fantastic and grab it with awful enthusiasm. You know, it's like, <laughs> oh, we can do that. <gasps> I know. Why don't we do a scale model of our house and use scraps of the actual carpet from each room, you know, in there and, and see if we've got any dregs of paint so that it's exactly the right paint on all the walls. Oh my and goodness. then we can go around and, and you're thinking, actually, maybe you should just have got a job at that point. There was a sign. The signs were there. Uh, and I, I, I do remember that there was a particularly painful time before before Cambridge Satchel when I had um it was my son's birthday and I had been waiting all day for him to come back from school he's six and 
I was thinking it's a Spider-Man themed tea, you know, and really gone to town on this Spider-Man themed tea. And they came back from school and said, um, oh, can we just uh, have a bit of a play with Aidan next door? And I was thinking, are you mad? All day I've been waiting for this Spider-Man tea. And my mum and I sat in this table, sort of surrounded by all this Spider-Man thing and webbing, and it was all going on. And I just thought, ooh, I, they're moving on. And mm-hmm. it's getting to that point, there were six and eight, mm-hmm. where I'm going to have to find something. Otherwise, I'm going to be left with mm-hmm. cleaning and cooking and ironing. And that's not good. It's great to be home with the children doing fun things and activities and making Mm -hmm. cabbages out of Play-Doh and all this kind of thing. Love that. Don't really see myself keeping a house. And I definitely don't see myself as being a lady who lunches. I don't like networking. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. that's not, that's a channel shut to me. Yeah, was shut to Um, me. But then all I needed was the motivation to sort of drive myself at sort of rocket speed down some sort of corridor. And that motivation was um, getting them into an amazing school. And Cambridge, because of the university, we have some incredible schools here. Yes. And, you know, and and, and so what I always say to, um, to people, and this probably sort of flies in the face of lots of advice, but... I'm always more motivated by something that looks like a real moonshot. You know, it's the dream. Uh, because you can think, I'm going to get them into an amazing school, start looking at the schools, realise, God, schools are really expensive. School fees are really expensive. So let's look at one that's sort of affordable. You say, no, the heck with that. Look at the one that's the dream, the one that you think... If I could get them there, that would be perfect. And then look at how much it costs because that's the challenge. The thing that's really important is that you need something that you feel completely passionate about. Yep. Because, you know, I, I started Cambridge Satchel with £600. That was the... Yep. That was the the amount that I had to spend on it. I wasn't going to borrow. I wasn't going... It was... That's what it was. and And so I had to learn to code, to code the first website. You know, I had to do that. And so when you're doing that and you've got a six-year-old and an eight-year-old and there aren't that many sort of hours in the day, you find yourself, it's three o'clock in the morning and you're trying to Mm -hmm. learn to code because you've set yourself this ridiculous target of, I'm going to learn to code over three nights and then on the fourth night I'm writing the website. And and that's what's happening here. And and so when you're that tired and... It's that sort of early in the morning. You need something you feel really yeah. passionate about yeah. just to remind you of why you're doing it. And that's different for different people. And if what floats your boat is, you know, uh, a, a beautiful sort of P1 McLaren or whatever, th- that's fine. I mean, it's it, it doesn't matter what it is, but finding something you feel really passionate about, I think, is really key. And that's £600. It's a crazily small amount of money. And yet you took that and you've grown what you have grown today. When other people, and I I speak to a lot of small businesses who almost use that lack of finance as, I don't want to say the excuse, but it is put there as their barrier. What would you say to people who have that sort of 
mindset that that money was what's going to stop them and 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 you had a background in finance do you feel that that helped you look and at that biophysics and sorry super helpful. sorry yeah <laughs> biophysics and finance so yeah so you might helpful, have a different helpful. a different type of for, view for the, on that 600 pounds yeah. but what is your viewpoint on that and I think 600 pounds isn't a small amount of money you know it, it isn't a small amount of money Six hundred pounds. What would I spend? Six. I wouldn't spend six hundred pounds on a bag. It's not a small amount of money. I think that six hundred pounds is enough. It's certainly in the area that that I was trying to do something in. It's enough to find out if your idea is a good idea. And I was doing um, a, a business game with a few local sort of schools, and and I was shocked. They they sort of said. In this game, we will give you £100,000. Tell us what you do with this £100,000 to set up the game and everything. And and I thought the first thing you should do is you give 99000 back (laughs) because nobody's (laughs) going to give you that without wanting you to jump through hoops. And you don't need somebody else putting pressure on you in those early days. Early days, You, You need to be doing things to find out... Is it an idea that only you feel passionate about? And and so you shouldn't really be spending... And also, when you don't have um, money, then you you don't waste money. I think that's a really, really important It's a thing. really important lesson, isn't it? It's, it's actually a fundamental lesson that if you don't start really poor in your business I feel like it's one of the best business lessons that you can have because you know you're questioning why someone's buying proper post-it notes and not fake post-it notes because why would we possibly spend those extra two pounds when we could get it for a pound and actually that philosophy then stays true with the business with those people that you've brought up that way in the business to care for that pound as if it was their own. That's right. Because otherwise, you know, and after we had, you know, a lot of money through investment, then we had a lot of, of people that that were senior executive people come in who would think nothing about spending like thousands on I mean, just ridiculous things, things that shouldn't even be things and and jobs that shouldn't even be jobs <laughs> and branding agencies, yeah. all this money to tell you who you are. If you don't know who you are, yeah. go and sort yourself out. Yeah. But you, you, you don't, out. don't spend thousands and thousands and thousands to come out with some pyramid to tell you yeah. who you are and then you put it in a drawer. I don't understand that. Yeah. And, and I think that... Um, uh, a really tight budget makes you really smart about why you do something. When I think back to a lot of the businesses that I talk to, or I think back to my own story where, you know, not seeing Harry, missing every, you know, first steps, first words. And actually, he was three months old when I started Not on the High Street. And so when we got to that point, I always wanted to take him to Lapland, the whole thing. And it took until he was five to get to that holiday. But it was such possibly one of the most magical times of my life that I now still look back to because... In a way, it was it was a happy KPI. It was a it was a something that was, yes, the mortgage was being paid, but actually this was a goal that was what I was striving for, and it reminded me of when you were saying about the school fees. So you know these sort of good life goals. 
you talked about your school and the kids getting in there as your goal. What was it like when you reached that goal? What oh, was that? My God. What was that moment my mom like? And I, my mum and I took them to, um, it was sort of John Lewis School Outfitters in Cambridge. And I just remember they, they put their blazers on and came out <laughs> and we were howling. I mean, we were oh. crying our eyes out, standing outside. Oh, <laughs> How long had that been? Was what was it from that moment that you said, right, we can't make any models of our house anymore with real carpet. I need to do something to that moment in John Lewis's changing rooms. Three months. No. Yes. Wow. Don't wally about. No. Yeah. Not when you're with you. My goodness. Three months. Yeah. Amazing. Oh, Amazing. Oh, we were howling. And they, they turned it on and said, you, you can see now they fit right. I went to turn around and go back in the changing room. It's like, no, <laughs> I'm this, this moment's lasting a lot longer than that. <laughs> Yeah, we need a cup of tea. We need to sit here. We need to have some photographs. Of all really big these. moment. Really big moment. Oh, my goodness. And you, you set yourself that goal. You reached it very quickly, actually, in any way that you look at that. That was a, not a long period of time. How does your business push you forward now? So we fast forward to today. Do you set yourself similar targets personally and and obviously you've got targets professionally but what's your now viewpoint on those sort of those milestones that you need to hit I think that um I do feel a huge sense of responsibility to people in the business because they do become like your family so you know we've got the factory in Leicester of all those people making the bags and so we make we make you know about 10,000 bags a month wow and so keeping that factory yeah. busy, keeping those those people busy so that they... I, I look at Cambridge Saturday, it's about, what, 150 mortgages a month? Mm. That, yeah. you know, that is a huge sense of responsibility. I also, I look at the business and I see, you know, what we... The difficult times that we went through, I sort of look back at that and, and some of the the way that I handed over control to people I thought were the experts and I look at what they did and how it was nearly killed and I I do get driven by a how dare you do that yeah. to my, you know, third child. How <laughs> So getting it back to common sense and simplicity that always worked for us, uh, I, then trying to to get that back on track because the difficulty is when the business grows so much and you do have people come in that have worked at big corporate places and then start instilling all these committees and meetings with loads of people in that go on forever and ever and you know there's agencies and people they've worked with in the past and all this kind of thing you feel more and more disconnected because it literally does not make sense to you you know, why somebody would think that that would work. But maybe that's what it takes to scale. And was that the question you asked yourself? You know, I, 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 you've spoken candidly about this. And I think it's actually one of the things for me, I remember my dad running in with an article that you um, were in the, in the Times. And, you know, going through scale is a 
quite a unique process actually and I don't think there's a rule book for this and so getting people who you believe to be better than yourself and um, what other people believe to be true is the right thing to do and so you sit back and you go along with this and etc and it was interesting what you were saying about how that sort of imposter syndrome slightly started to flare up at that point because there you were you know, thinking, you know, the phrase, you know, common sense is the most uncommon thing. Yeah. Thinking, well, I, I'm not actually agreeing with anything that's going on here, but it's probably going to work out. Tell and, me about, tell me about that sort of experience there when that, impo- when you were self-doubting yourself, probably. I think that it, 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 it did come at, you reach this point, or I reached this point, where the, the business was, was turning over, you know, 12 million, 13 million and um, it was still, it, it, I was feeling like I was the only person that the, the buck would stop at, you know, for everything. And it would have been nice to have a proper framework that was more scalable and robust uh, around. And so I decided that was the time to, to take um, investment. And that was absolutely the right decision. It was the time to take investment. But there was this kind of feeling of don't be the kind of founder that micromanages. You know, you've you've taken on investment now from um, a, a partner that knows how to scale businesses. Don't be a control freak. But actually, you need to be a control freak because nobody cares as much as you care about it. And nobody cares about the tiny, tiny details that actually do make a difference. And... It's it's the poison chalice. You you get people in who have scaled before, and then you get people in who have worked at hundred million turnover businesses. But it wasn't a hundred million turnover business. It was a twelve million turnover business. And so, then when all of a sudden you're 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 being given all of these people, and those typically aren't people that roll their sleeves up and do things themselves. They they hire eight people they've worked with in the past that they trust that then start hiring loads of other people. And all of a sudden, you know, the overhead absolutely becomes crushing, completely crushing. And to go from a business that we had never had an unprofitable month, l- let alone wow. a year... To, to being in the position where we had some years where it was a three million pound loss. That's really difficult because, yes, you know, it was a, a, a sort of a large investment, but six, seven million into the business, you have a couple of years like that yeah. and it's burned yeah. through. Yeah. And you're in the same position again. It's well, very difficult. Worse, actually. Yeah, worse. <laughs> yeah. And it's because it's difficult to unwind it, mm-hmm. you know, for a Unpick long it. time. You're, you're, lifting stones and you still can't quite believe what you're finding under them you know and you think that you've got to the bottom of things and made them simple again and you haven't and there's something waiting to bite you in the bum with a contract that somebody signed that because they had a c title that then they had implied authority to bind your company onto something that will haunt you for years and it just goes on it's quite a hard thing to get out of it's, it's it's actually what can send some companies under, correct? I, I mean, it can I send mean, people insane and insane, insane. <laughs> under and insane. Yeah, both, both yeah, not good. Both. both not good things. 
I'm so excited that you're listening to the very first episode of my new podcast. I wanted to also tell you about an event that I'm putting on in September called the Congregation of Inspiration, the ultimate small business event for creative entrepreneurs. Coming together for a day like no other, full of incredible speakers such as Julie, who you're listening to now, and inspiring founders of businesses such as Selfish Mother, The Happy Newspaper and Vicky's Donuts. I'm going to talk about business in a way that's refreshing. The tips, the hacks and the wish I'd knowns. At the Congregation of Inspiration, I want to give you jargon-free business advice that you just can't Google. So please join me on the 28th of September for a day that just might change your life. Tickets and more information can be found via my website, holly.co. I hope to see you there. I was so interested when we spoke about your fantastic success in China. And I know you shared a stage, am I right in thinking this, with Jack Ma, the founder of Alibaba. And I actually think that you didn't just share a stage, you did... I went to his island and... You did a Tai Chi. A Tai Chi. You did Tai Chi with him. I mean, it's slightly one of those moments that you go, you did Tai Chi with the founder of Alibaba. Yeah, of course, of course. But it is, it is, isn't it sort of like you suddenly realise that you are the female Walter Mitty. Right. <laughs> you suddenly realise that you, one minute you're, you're putting in your Frey Bentos pie and Fen didn't. <laughs> and it's sort of fish fingers for tea. And then the, the next, next you're, you're being hypnotised by Richard Branson on a flight to Detroit or doing Tai Chi with the founder of Alibaba. It is Walter Mitty. Walter Mitty plus. Yeah. Plus, this whole new market that you embarked on, tell me what it meant to be that British brand that did that. I, I think that there's a part of my personality, and it might be some lack of wiring somewhere, that I don't, I don't think about what other people think. As long as I'm doing what I think I'm doing, or I need to do, then I'm, I'm happy. I'm I'm fine, and so when you stop seeking approval, it it's a lot easier, you know. And a lot of people that I speak to say, "What would people think if I did that?" Or "What if I did that and then it failed?" Or and and I just suddenly realise I'm very lucky there because I don't actually care. Chinese people are just people that live in China, and they just still need bags. And they like our bags. They like the design of the bags. They like the simplicity of the bags. They like the fact that the bags are made in Britain. Us making steps towards China wasn't at a time when we had all the big executives in. Because they might have said, this is the way you do it. And you need to get this and this. And you need all these things in place. Uh, and we didn't do any of that. And um, so thank goodness, you know, we, we didn't have sort of experts. Because the fact is, nobody is an expert um, at the moment because things are changing so fast. And where we are lucky is that um, there's a genuine curiosity and love of learning, which means that we do keep up with how things change rather than a deep-seated corporate arrogance that is, oh, this is the, you know, whatever way of doing it, this is how we do it. 
we we don't really do it like that. You had a moment in your journey that was pretty hair-raising. It was when one of your manufacturers were passing off your satchels, called Zatchels, selling basically your design with your leather in exactly the same dimensions. They were using your patterns. And it was, I mean, it was pretty, it was unbelievably shocking. You sued them successfully. What was that experience like and how did you get through it? First of all, it, it, it came after a very stressful period. There were quite a lot of, there's a string of stressful periods. And there was um, the moment that we were spotted at, at New York Fashion Week because our, our bags were literally sort of fluorescent. And so, you know, the, the cameras went off and, and the, the big shows and, and it all came out. And so um, we had a backlog of 16,000 bags that people had ordered on the website, which was still a bit hokey, to be honest. But um, so we had 16,000 bags on back order. And and I had four manufacturers that were small British manufacturers. And, and each one of those had a maximum capacity of about 250 bags a week. <laughs> I had 16,000. It's My. like hysterical yeah. laughter. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then people then come and they say to you, oh, it's a great problem to have. Not if you're the person in that seat <laughs> with all those people screaming at you on email yeah, and, yeah. And, and you're trying to say, oh, well done, you've chosen a really brilliant British-made product, but it is made by hand and so there might be a slight weight. You know, it, it, it's not going to be dropped by Amazon tomorrow before 10 because no. actually you're pretty far down the list yeah. and they it can only make 250 the next week. quarter. You might be <laughs> yeah, you'll back. get it next year. Yeah. Um, and and so that was, it was, it was quite tough. And I'd found a, a manufacturer that would scale up and, and they had only been making for us for a short time and, and I'd bought all the tooling and all the leather and everything. And then I had... Um, an email come in from um, Liberty London girl, Sasha Wilkins, is a fantastic blogger and, well, she's more than a blogger. She sort of was fashion editor. And, uh, but she said, oh, so sad to see you've changed your name. I liked the Cambridge Satchel Company and I think that's a stronger name than Satchel's. So why did you change it? And I said, we haven't changed the name. And she said, oh, but I've just been sent this bag. And it's obviously, you know, it's one of your bags, but it's got this label on it that's very confusing. And I thought, I have no idea what's going on here. And then I sort of typed it into Google and, and it came up with this homepage. It said, Zatchel's this new phenomenon coming soon and all this kind of thing. I was staring at it, thinking, what the heck's going on? And then I had a phone call from um, somebody who worked, you know, making the bags and said, oh, I've... I can't sleep because I've never been involved in something like this before, but we're, we're doing this and I feel really bad about it. And I thought, oh my gosh, Zatchels are actually, this is my manufacturer that's doing this. And, and so straight away I, I thought, well, I'm, I'm not big on rules, but, but there are some fundamentals. And one of them is you don't work with people you don't like or don't trust you you cannot work with people you don't trust and so I thought well I have to go down there and take the leather out that's what has to happen what didn't kick in was <laughs> you actually have 18 and a half thousand bags <laughs> on backlog at this stage and you're supposed to be making for Comme des Garçons for their Paris Fashion Week 
show and uh, they're not really going to be impressed that you're just about to sort of fire your manufacturer. It didn't even enter my mind that side of it. I cannot work with people I don't trust and that was the end of it. So I went down and got this um, huge lorry to meet me there and uh, went down and took all the leather out. And then I was faced with the the practical and horrible side of seeing the people mm. that worked on those bags that suddenly wouldn't have work. And I said, I'm really sorry, this isn't about your craftsmanship. It's not about your workmanship. This is just that this cannot happen. I've, you know, found out what's what's happening here. I, this cannot happen. And and then the man came out. And it, it rocks your faith in people. Mm. You know, mm. I hadn't had a manufacturing agreement with any of my suppliers mm -hmm. hadn't needed them they were absolutely marvelous mm. ethical british manufacturers it had been done on a handshake and maybe that's naive you know and when you scale probably you don't want to do things on that but i thought i was a really good judge of character and and that sort of threw me this is somebody that i had looked in the eye many times and i had no idea that this was going on in the background so it was you know it was really really difficult how did you take it, that, com that, that confrontation? Well, I, I'm not a lover of confrontation, but, but this was, I mean, clearly just not right. Yeah. <laughs> I said, I'm he not, messed I'm with your child. Yeah, so, and, you know, this it, is, and then, yeah. you, then you step in, then Mother you get really cross, really cross then. And said, well, I'm taking all the leather out, you're not making another bag for me. And uh, he turned and, and he really poked the bear then, because he, he, he sort of said, You'll be back, he said, because you've got no choice, you know, because he knows that I was, that was the main manufacturer and I had this huge backlog. Um, and he said, what do you know? You're just a stupid woman who doesn't know about manufacturing. Oh, <laughs> and I think that, that was... And then the empire was grown. <laughs> and, and, and sort of walked off. And there was this kind of like out-of-body experience um, that... I heard myself say, you know, to, to the people who were just left around, I, I, this, I had this realisation of, oh, I don't know about manufacturing, but these are the people that make them. And so I said to them, I can't believe that he's done this and I can't believe he just said that. And, and if he's like that to his best customer, what must he be like to work for? Uh, and I said, well, if you ever are in the position where you want to work for somebody who's not like that, you know, you know where to find me because I am starting a factory near here. <laughs> <laughs> and I could hear myself say it, but I didn't know the first thing about setting up a factory. Uh, and, and I didn't have a building. No. <laughs> didn't have a building. And I was driving back to Cambridge and I was thinking, okay, after I pick Emily and Max up from school, I'm going to go on right move because that's what you do, right? Everybody goes on right gonna, move. I'm going to find a factory. And I'm going to find a factory. I'm going to find a factory. And it's, this is quite a tricky time scale, this one. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I'm going to find a factory and I'm going to make appointments to view five tomorrow. And um, by five o'clock, I will put an offer in in whichever, on whatever one is the least awful. So you turned 
what again could kill companies and you turned that into a well a positive what would you say what would be a a piece of advice to those who in the creative community and and certainly my community the small business community where copying is one of the most awful things and only when you've been copied do you actually know what that feels like what would a piece of advice be to this group I'd of say people? that um don't assume that your copycats are going to come from China yeah because that is certainly for us not the case that is not where our problems have come from I think that go to the um business and IP center in the British Library where you can get help free of charge on things like non-disclosure agreements and manufacturing agreements and and all that kind of thing because in the early days you don't have loads of money to spend on lawyers you you don't but having something that's just a template will give you a little bit of a heads up on whether somebody is going to balk at, at signing something or or not but they will also help you protect IP and i the one thing i was good on from the very beginning was protecting now obviously I, we do not own the the style of a satchel that's british heritage that's been there forever but we do own our name you know and we do own our logo and in one year we had to shut down over 200 websites that were pretending to be us you know and and so you do need to take ownership of your logo and your name this sort of made in britain you've made that part of your tapestry i i of course it's, it's such a prevalent part of your dna you know as we're moving forward and i i'm so happy to think that consumers are becoming more conscious about where they're getting their products from where they're made are the workers being paid the right amounts i've read that you pay good wages that you're fair and that it's an affordable you know you just made the comment i wouldn't spend 600 pounds on a bag yeah. so it's affordable can you tell me just about those philosophies you know i think it's definitely i have not made my life easy by choosing to make in britain but it is important um that all of our bags are are made here because a satchel is a very british bag so to make that somewhere just because it's cheaper i i just don't think that's that's right but in those early days of setting up a factory and learning you know where to get a sewing machine and renting machines because you can't buy the machines and all that kind of thing it it would have been a lot easier to have just done a bulk order of those satchels and got those you know it, the backlog rose to over 30,000 bags before we got on top of it um, how long did it take you to get um your from your right move search Yes, to to actually having some of those guys I'm assuming came over to you. Yes. That, yes, yeah. and 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 actually started manufacturing. What was that time period of we were manufacturing off our, our first bags were out within 3 weeks. Wow. But these philosophies, this this factory had British workers. Yeah. But it was your... so important. It is one of those things that you just need to do you need to be good at prioritizing because i couldn't at that stage have afforded the factory that we run now we did the best we could to get the job done and i think that realizing that that's more important than having things perfect because sometimes you can't afford perfect sometimes you can't afford 
time-wise, you can't afford perfume. You can't say, oh yes, tell you what, 30,000, you'll have them in nine months' time because I'm going to get a grant from Europe or something and, and I'm going to get it and, and there's footprints being done of this factory and all this kind of thing. Yeah, ideally, but no, what I had to do was take the factory with the least rodent traps, you know, and and somewhere where I could actually get uh, access by lorries that carry leather are big lorries so they need to be able to it had to be practical and then you work and get what you can afford um gradually but it doesn't happen overnight and this britishness this this britishness do you think that this is something that we can support more as consumers do you feel that if you are a british brand so you do make in this country that you should shout about it and tell people about it I think that you should shout when you're proud of something to shout about but then if if you travel and find someone making something absolutely brilliant and it's a beautiful thing then buy it you know and support them what I wouldn't support and what we could never support are those those places that that just treat people really badly there's no health and safety standards it's, it's all because it's it has to be done cheaply so you cut every single corner and guards taken off machines and and all that kind of thing in the name of of just getting something out cheaply i would never support that but there for me is a real beauty in craftsmanship and i go with with emily and max to wyoming every year we we go to this dude ranch and there's a place there called King's Saddlery in Sheridan and they make these ropes and I could stand there for ages just watching and, and I have <laughs> and just watching these ropes being made and you think that's fantastic and, and I would never want to lose that kind of craftsmanship wherever it is but if you have that you should be shouting about it. Our satchels, our British bags, they need to be made in Britain and, and anyone can visit our factory. It's absolutely wonderful to see them being made and, you know, the, the marking of the leather of this is where the stitching will start, this is where it'll stop, the embossing plates. You know, it's a really lovely thing to see. But um, I, I just love craftsmanship. And you, you've said to your children, you have your money, but it's like voting for something. You spend it in the places you want to support. Yeah. And I just I, I, I quote um, Anna Lappy. She says, every time you spend money, you're casting a vote for a kind of world you want to live in. And if more people understood this notion, well, it goes back to your 600 pounds. A yeah. pound is yeah. a very powerful thing. And yet... I would say in this day and age, we don't believe that. We don't see that. Certainly my son, when he talks about what I need to get him in Amazon by tomorrow, of course, and that it's only, you know, it's only £10, it's only £16, it's only this. We are losing that sort of grasp. Your 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 school said, what would you start with £100,000? You know, you said... Oh. And that wasn't our school. That was, <laughs> you know... Uh, a normal school in Cambridge, and they're, they're giving these expectations that are not realistic. But it's it's also just enjoying the, the, the journey and enjoying the wait to get something. So I'd sort of like, and, you know, that is pointed in the direction of fantastic vinyl record shop uh, in Cambridge, relevant records. Small independent record store, 
you go downstairs and and they've got their their vinyl records all sort of laid out and and you can go rummaging through and I've got a list of vinyl records that I really want to find and my son looked at me as you know I was completely mad and sort of said well you can just go online and get them you could have them tomorrow yes I could buy them online but is it really there are some things that are functional you need them so you need them quickly I, I completely get that but when there are some things that are just a joy. really a joy, then the joy isn't getting it as fast as you as can. quickly as you possibly can. That's what I try to instill. But I think that people are getting and and you know the the younger generations now do enjoy that sense of experience, and they do appreciate. It's our responsibility to do the storytelling properly is this is what it takes to make one of our bags and these are the people that make them if we do that storytelling properly people can enjoy the experience and feel an ongoing happiness about one of these bags and they can talk and and say to their friends I've bought this bag did you know this is the history of this bag this is where it's made and if you look on the back you can see this this and this and continue to get joy from it rather than just okay, I need a bag, I'll buy it, I'll have it by tomorrow, uh, I'll wear it, I don't really know where it's and from or where throw it's it away. made. Or, then I'll just... A yeah. months' time. And, yeah. it, and it, it's, it's that story that becomes your marketing, isn't it? The story yeah. is your free marketing forevermore. The deeper your story, the more depth it has, the more nooks and crannies it's got, the more that that story will live on. We're coming towards the end, but I just wanted to ask you, you, you wrote a very um, interesting report for the government. I thought it was interesting. They didn't do much with it. <laughs> Well, it was interesting. Yes, it took uh, the self-employment months. review, yes, yes. which you were asked to write by David Cameron, and it cited that isolation was one of the biggest challenges faced by business owners, yep. with only over thirty percent of respondents saying that it was either a big or semi-big problem. Being the captain of your own ship, and I know we've spoken about this before, it can be a super lonely um, place. Yeah, actually, being a CEO of a very a big business like yourself can be a lonely place but also for that one person in a bedroom starting up it's a very lonely place what are what would your tips be or your thoughts now you look back at that journey about that feeling of isolation see I'm really lucky because I didn't feel that because I had my mum doing it with me in the kitchen um and there was that demented level of focus but I think for people who don't have such a compelling time frame, and this is the danger, if if you don't have that sense of urgency, if you have, you know, money to do it and you have, you know, as long as you need to do it, you'll become one of those people that uh, I've come across when, when I do these sort of like um, ask business questions and, and they'll come up and, and they'll dither. They'll dither for ages on, I don't know about the right name for my business and I don't know about the right end. And you say, oh my gosh, for goodness sake, Cambridge Social Company, I allocated myself 10 minutes to think of the name of the company. And let's face it, it's, it's so I lived in Cambridge and I sold satchels, the Cambridge Satchel Company, <laughs> done. Just but, move on. But also move touch on. on the fact that your bags are sold on uh, Fifth Avenue, uh, Selfridges, Harvey Nichols, 
And you created your logo in word art. Yeah, word art, not just word. I'm taking a bit of taking a bit of credit here. Word art. You know, some some people that yes. you might have experienced and now are no longer here might have spent, you know, a pretty penny on on that logo and that brand and that. Uh, and what's even more surprising is that that logo did take less than half an hour and it was word with word art. But what is surprising now is there will be at least three times every year that I will go to some event in London where someone will claim to have been part of the team that created the Cambridge Satchel logo. <laughs> And, it is, and I'll always put my hand up and just say, you oh, do not look like my mother. And so <laughs> that's not quite oh, true. what a moment. What Unbelievable. a moment. So you, didn't, so you didn't feel that isolation yourself? I didn't. You were lucky enough to have your... I didn't. But I think that there are... The, the thing to bear in mind with the self-employed, they're an incredibly diverse group. But if you, if you are doing it in different circumstances than I had, then it is very, very common to to miss the support of your co-workers mm, mm. to um to just to miss those people to take a tea break with if you've been really going at at something for an hour and you think oh i need a break from that it, it would be nice to have somebody that to person. talk to um to to have your but also on the flip side with. of that speed could actually also open up a lot more conversation with people. Yeah. So if you're urgently trying to do something, you've got to make 20 phone calls to just try and find the right person. Well, you should be then out going to meet those 20 people or quite, you know. And so actually, I think speed, I think sometimes that, that that slowness, that procrastination that can happen in an isolated environment is what what really gets to people's minds and the yeah, and and they, they start doing things like reading loads of business books oh yes i was like oh, i'll read another business yeah, book because that 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 because that'll help i'll read <laughs> another book about how somebody did something yes. 12 years ago yes that'll really help yeah um but it's it's just these these things but during that report you know i did also come to realize that being self-employed is not for everyone. Yes. And and there's no, you know, that's not, again, that's not a bad thing. But, but what you need to do is to really know yourself. If you've always wanted to try something, then just get on with it. Yeah. No time like the present. No. I use the analogy that run, um, running a business is um, like a roller coaster. And... It, it, it certainly is every day, never the same, up and down, stomach lurches up and down. What what would you say on that roller coaster has been your greatest high? Greatest high um, was seeing them in their school blazers. When things are, we've had some really, really rocky times. And I've always come back to the thing of this was set up to send Emily and Max to a great school. And it did that. So whatever happens now i am not going to feel like a failure that it did that and i got to do these incredible things you know along the along the way so you can't keep thinking oh uh, if this doesn't happen then as the next thing this constant raising of the bar and and that's the definition of success and nothing else that came before that matters that is what will drive you insane and make you deeply unhappy. And on that roller coaster, your greatest low? Greatest low. Um, 
Oh, yeah. There, I would say that I'm going to, I'm going to say there were two. There, there was when I was trying to set up the factory, you, you go through this thing of giving the appearance that it's fine. You pick the children up from school and it's like, um, oh, dinner. Yes, that, that might be a pot noodle, but you know what? It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> and, and then, it, it, so I had this insane sort of structure where I would take them to school. I would try to set up the factory in school day. I would pick them up and we would read our book, you know, the magic key. We'd go through all that. We, we would make dinner and it's fine, you know, nothing on my mind. No, I'm good. And then I would go to bed and I would attack the emails from all the angry people who had ordered a bag and wanted to know, you know, reasonably where it was. There'd be like 3,000 angry emails and nobody could have been doing their best more than I was at that point. And then to see this this barrage of disapproval. And yet when you're in that kind of place with that much pressure on you, my only, I was honestly thinking, the problem here is that I'm not answering emails fast enough. Right, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, that's the problem, that I'm not, the problem isn't that, you know, I don't have 10 people to do this in the day, which would be the rational yeah. thing. No, yeah, the problem no, no. is I'm, not, I'm not being efficient enough here. And so what I need to do is get really creative with text expander, you know. And so I, I, I bought for like one ninety nine or whatever some app and I do text expander. So if you do ZZ30, it would say... Um, I'm so sorry, or you've, you know, we're approaching 30 days, we're doing our absolute best. And so I'd have all these pre-written paragraphs with all these little codes. And what makes me laugh is on my phone still, occasionally I'll type something wrong and something will trigger a text expander <laughs> paragraph. And I'll look back at that. You'll be reminded at this low. Oh my gosh. You know, that is a, a real, real, yeah, oh my a real, a real, real low. And then there was a point about a year ago when I'd thought I had got us out from a particularly onerous contract that would have sent us completely into bankruptcy. It was absolutely awful but we got out of it and I, I felt really so relieved I felt like you know I'd been thrown a bit of a lifeline on that one and then our landlord in London for our Covent Garden shop uh, decided to, to put our rent up from the 350,000 level to the 700,000 level um, and there was no break clause and so we were stuck having to pay a rent that we couldn't afford and there was no way out of that either. And and it just sort of felt like, could have dealt with this, but on the back of the other one, you just get ground Universe down. You know, that one sort of coming. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and so I think that was a really, really tricky point. Well, I think it would be for anybody, but... This draws us to the end of this amazing conversation. I could sit here forever and I hope that this is the beginning of a, a friendship. Certainly from the second I spoke to you, I knew that we, yeah, we have a, a, a connection in our journey. I just want to thank you for being so honest. And 
it's actually the point of doing these conversations. Your honesty is going to help so many people on that journey in the creative business world or in any any journey, actually, just facing through to their issues, doing things with speed, not procrastinating, you know, having speed um, behind you. So I just I really, really thank you. Something I ask all my guests is to prepare um, for this podcast is a note to themselves, their younger selves. I've done my own. Um, I hope it allowed you to take a moment just to maybe think back at you um, in the past. And I don't know what's to come, but I just wanted to thank you from everyone listening, you sharing part of your soul with us. Well, thank you. Thank, thank you. you. And I would say that doing this letter, um, I thought, oh, God, that's a bind. But then when I started doing it, 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 it was a real eye-opener because... I look back and I, I don't think of myself as old. <laughs> but then when I thought back of when I was sort of 17, 18, and going to university, no mobile phones, there was no social media, I didn't have a laptop, I didn't have a computer. And, and I was thinking how different the world was then. And then it made me feel a bit like a dinosaur. But then I sort of had a cup of tea and got over that. So I, I, I wrote my letter um, and it was extraordinary just thinking to how different it was then and so it you know people do move forward so cracking on okay so I said dear Julie I'm writing this letter by hand because technology is about to take over your phone will do everything email will try to rule your life and I need to tell you to not fall for it creativity will make you stand out when others send email, you must remember that less is more. Send cards, write letters, and know that friends are people that you are actually friends with. This doesn't make sense to you right now, but it will. Enjoy this time before mobile phone madness hits. Celebrate everything. You will have much to celebrate, but you will feel there's no time. You will have the chance to do incredible things, but just do them. Don't worry about not following the crowd. Don't worry about feeling that you don't care about the things other people do seem to. Just know what you do care about and know what makes you happy. Your life will have chapters. Enjoy every one of them and make the most of all of it. Don't spend time with people you don't like. Don't spend time on things you don't care about. Your focus is actually a great thing. You will have the most wonderful children. They will become your best friends. And you will have dogs, boxes, loads of them. You are a free spirit. Some people won't like that or find it easy. And that is not your problem. Oh, <laughs> a tear in my eye. I certainly love this free spirit. And I've loved every single second of it. And... Um, Thank you so much for sharing everything that you have with us today. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. Oh. <laughs> Thanks, Nat West, again for sponsoring this podcast. It's great to partner with an organisation that believes in empowering people in business. That's why they developed the NatWest Business Hub, which is full of information, tips and insights to help business owners meet their goals. Go to natwestbusinesshub.com to get started. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Conversations of Inspiration. 
I want as many people as possible to believe that they can build a business doing what they love. So could I ask a favour? If you like what you're listening to, would you rate, review and subscribe on iTunes, Spotify or your favourite podcast provider? It will help others find this podcast and may just be the inspiration they need to follow their dreams. Bow your head and let your eyelids close on down Where we're going you won't need to bring your frown You will find that all the things that I have said Will come to when you are lying in your bed And if you want your friends to come then